Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Don't you just love a great personal story? Me too. And this one is so inspiring. Meet a woman who has taken her love of the healthcare field and married it to the fight against cancer and her love of theater. By day, she earns her living as the director of patient safety for Crico Strategies. That's a division of the Risk Management Foundation of the Harvard Medical Institutions. And by night, she is the artistic director for Voices of Hope, a unique nonprofit made up of 200 musical cast members who have been impacted in some way by cancer. And together they sing, they dance, they entertain, all to benefit cancer research. And she does this every day as she deals with a chronic disease as well, multiple sclerosis. Dana Siegel, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you, Candy. I'm so delighted to be here. Describe your job and what it entails. And I know you're also a registered nurse. I am. I actually started as a nurse in the emergency room. Thought, quite honestly, that that was where my entire career would, would live. But life being what it was... I was hit with a major obstacle and early in my career, six or seven years in, I was confronted with a chronic disease, MS, that made it really difficult for me to feel stable as a physical support within the emergency room. So I began to move toward a new career and a new pathway, and I found myself in quality and risk and patient safety, still thinking about how to take care of the patients I was so passionate about when I was in the ED. I loved that work but finding a different way to impact healthcare. Now I study medical malpractice and learn how we make mistakes, how we avoid mistakes, and how we can deliver safer care. What have you seen, particularly for women in healthcare? Well, I think, first of all, women in leadership roles in healthcare have grown significantly. I think originally you saw us as nurses and the, and the bedside partners, and I dare use the word handmaidens to the physicians who were yeah. seen as the gods of medicine, and, <laughs> and we were the doers of the tasks. I think that We've been elevated significantly, even at the bedside, to be seen as partners. My particular area of expertise is in diagnosis and diagnostic failure. And nurses are considered the bedside partner to the physician. And physicians are so many more women now than ever before. And senior leadership roles are being filled by women as well. So I think the role of women has really expanded in healthcare. Why is patient safety so important mm. to you? Oh, it is critical. There was a, a large, significant document that came out in 1999 called To Air is Human. It was published by the Institute of Medicine, and it was the first time that it openly acknowledged that we as providers of healthcare are human and we make mistakes. We aren't God. None of us are. But if we don't understand how those mistakes are made and how we can set up systems and teamwork and improve communication to protect our patients and ourselves from the pain of being part of one of those errors, will never really advance the skill sets and the, the industry of healthcare. So patient safety is a way in which we've really started to embrace providing safer, whole, healthier care for everyone. And that's alongside all of the amazing advances in healthcare. But advances bring risk. So we have to constantly be understanding and estimating risks of new advancements. And patient safety embraces that as well. You know, you're so well-spoken and you travel all over the country. You speak, you present to groups large and small. And I'm going to guess that your theater background makes you a pretty engaging speaker. I am fortunate and blessed. 
it's ironic that most people will tell you that public speaking is their greatest fear. That's right. I can't connect with that at all. I just <laughs> give me an audience and I am a happy soul. Ironically, I almost didn't take the job I have now, which I absolutely love because my personal fear is flying and I have to travel so much for the job that I do. So when I think about all the people who struggle with public speaking, I think to myself, that's how it feels when I'm in a plane. I'm very, very happy to be blessed even to be in the position I am to share the message. You I know, do. you were just talking about fear. And I remember learning that the way we get over fear is by being brave and by doing things that we think we can't do or trying things that are brand new to us. So are you getting better about flying or do you still have a, a little mini nervous breakdown? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't recall grabbing the arm of the person beside me lately, although I met a few strangers that way in my earlier years. <laughs> but indeed, it does. It gets easier and it gets better. You challenge yourself to do it. Bravery isn't the absence of fear. It's persistence in the face of fear. And I think that's really what I kept telling myself each time I got on a plane and flew. Let's go back a little bit. You attended nursing school. Tell me about that decision. And what led you to medicine in the first place? Well, actually, I wasn't heading to medicine. I was heading to Broadway originally. <laughs> My mother had some wiser thoughts about that when I was very passionate about theater as a youth. I didn't even want to perform. I wanted to run a casting company, ironically. My mother made it very clear that if I pursued something practical like nursing, that she would support and help pay for my education. If I was heading to Broadway, I was on my own. So I took the practical route. In the beginning, to be quite honest with you, I struggled. I didn't fall in love with nursing right away. But then in my second year, I found the emergency room. And it is so much like theater. It's immediate. It's active. It requires you to react and think and be present in the moment. And I became so passionate about being in the ED that I really found my niche. Boy, talk medicine. about an adrenaline rush, right? Yeah, definitely. You then went to Northeastern University. Tell me a little bit about that. What did you study there? Uh, nursing, although I did minor in theater arts as well. In the 70s, when we went to nursing school, you went to a diploma school, and that was considered the revered way in which you got your nursing education. And you got an RN, and you took your state boards, and you had a diploma. You didn't have a degree. As the career began to advance and as professions began to advance, nursing felt that it wasn't fairly represented in the advancement if you didn't have the degree work. So we all went back to school to work on our degrees. But while I was there, I definitely slipped in a few acting and directing courses as well. When we first started talking, you mentioned that you needed to take a little left-hand turn when you were diagnosed with MS. Can you talk about that? When I think of the time in which I was confronted with that, it was so emotional and so devastating in the moment. First of all, it's a disease that doesn't have a clear pathway, and it's different for everybody. So you really don't know what your journey will be like. This many, many years later, I am blessed with a journey that was kinder to me than it has been to many. But my earlier years, I had symptoms that were stroke-like. In fact, they initially thought I had a stroke in my early 20s. The dysfunction from MS affects the way you think, the way you walk, the way you're able to handle shakes and tremors. And it really was inconsistent with my capacity to be active and on and alert and responsive in the emergency room. In fact, I had a serious fall at one point. I fractured my hip. Whether it was disease-related or not was never really resolved. But the bottom line is I became unstable physically in that environment. So I had to find a new way which was really disappointing because I had fallen in love with the ED. Yeah. But, you know, there's something that tells us that sometimes you have to let go of the life you're living to find the life you were meant to live. In hindsight, and with the maturity of many years later. 
gosh, I'm grateful. Where I ended up going is so much richer and healthier for me to manage my disease. I have had many, many more healthier years now that I do less physical work professionally. Although one would wonder what running around the theater is like three and four nights a week. But I manage. I had a woman here sitting right where you are who is also an MS survivor. And she said that when she got the news that she had MS, she sat on the couch and she ate bonbons and she watched Oprah and she felt sorry for herself for a few days. And her hu- hmm. her husband or her father looked at her and said, it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you handle it. The scientist in me kicked in and I started research. I needed to know every single thing I could Ironically, I had a girlfriend who was diagnosed almost within weeks of me, and we both worked in the same place. So there was an interesting assessment of this new building we were even working Mm. in and did that. My earlier diagnosis was also a study for somebody else in how we got the disease and so forth. So I was kind of blessed in an odd sort of way that my own personal reaction initially was derailed by the scientist in me that wanted to understand what had happened. When I realized it was going to change my career path, six months or a year later, that's when I really started having the, oh my gosh, what's happened to me and how am I ever going to adapt to this? One of the things that I notice about your story so far, and I bet our listeners are feeling the same way, is you really can adapt. You're very versatile. First, you want to go into theater. Your mother says, hey, I'm not going to support you unless you go become a nurse. Okay, mom, I'll become a nurse. Then you become a nurse. You fall in love with the ED. Oh, now we have MS. Now we have to find another course. You're very resilient, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Where does that come from? At the core of it, it comes from my faith. I'm an extremely faith-based, faith-driven person. Tell me about that. I personally have always believed that there is a higher power. For me, it is a God, a true and loving and forgiving and supportive God. Interestingly, a lot of people who have faith also believe that everything happens for a reason. As a scientist, I struggle with everything that happens for a reason being driven by God per se, I recognize the free will of humans. And I worked in a place that saw some of the most egregious, heartbreaking things happen, car accidents by drunk drivers and children who were abused. This is not the work of God. But what I came to learn was we can find reason and purpose in everything that comes to us. And I think that's always been the way I've looked at my life is I don't think it happened for a reason and I wasn't trying to understand why it happened. I didn't dwell on the backward view, I dwelled on the forward view. So now what? What's the new adventure? What am I getting out of this that I didn't expect? I have been called a Pollyanna a million times in my life, and I own it proudly. Where's the silver lining in this dark cloud, and how do I embrace it and make something of it? How did you find out about Voices of Hope, this incredible nonprofit organization founded in 2009, made up of all these people affected by cancer who sing? and dance, and entertain. Tell me. It is pretty special, isn't it? Well, I didn't actually find out about it. I was part of the founding process for it. Greg Chastain, who is just an amazing human being, is a dear friend, and he and I did theater together even before there was a Voices of Hope. We were doing theater together. We were doing theater for philanthropic reasons. We met doing a fundraiser for Winchester Hospital. We both had a passion for the use of our arts for good, just for feeling good about doing something that contributed our skills and our talents. At one particular time, Greg and I were doing a production of Aida. Several of our friends were involved in it at that time. My now husband, Ed, was also part of that, and he and Greg had become the best of friends through our theater journeys. 
Greg's mom passed away while we were doing AIDA, and he was just devastated. It was a cancer journey. We had shared it with him for quite some time. We really hoped that she would make this show. She did not, and Greg left the show just before opening. And when you work six, seven months of your time and your goal is to be there and have your mom in the audience, yeah. and that didn't happen. It was a very sad time. Without belittling the emotion, because I just want to leap to the far side of that, Greg went home, and as it does, the show goes on. It was a three-week run. Greg came home before the last weekend, and the most amazing thing happened. The cast, who had now changed their choreography, stepped up to the plate, filled the hole that Greg left just before opening, reopened the space on the stage and their hearts, and said, come back and be with us. You need to heal. Music is so healing. So we spent an extra week of time that they should have had off redoing the entire show to re-embrace Greg. And then he got to perform <laughs> that last weekend of AIDA with all of our friends surrounding us. And when we were done, we realized we were so not done. So we decided to do what was going to be a one night only, and we tease about this all the time, a one night only fundraising production in honor of his mom that fall so that we didn't have to break apart. So many people came forward to tell their stories, to comfort Greg, and we suddenly realized we're all in this journey together. So we did it once and we realized one night only has turned into nine more years. Exactly. Exactly. We found our place and our purpose in the world and a place for our art to be expressed and our hearts and souls to spend time together and to give back or fight back. And we do both in the work that we do. I'm so fascinated by the idea that the cast missed him so much that they wanted to come back together again and, and create that space for him again. And when I interview other artists, singers uh, who are part of productions, actresses, they all say that a family is created on that stage. Is that true? For each individual organization that has a production, the time you spend exploring yourself, thinking about the emotions of the characters you're developing and then bringing your own history to those, there is no way that those of us that are artists who kind of all start out a little vulnerable anyway, when you start sharing those vulnerabilities, you just bond and it just becomes a natural process. There's a lot of heartache at the end of every single production, but it's also what bonds people to finding niches to perform together over and over and over again. And while prior to Voices of Hope, Greg and Ed and I and many of the members of Voices of Hope Mike and Beth Consoli, who were the other members of the board and founding members, I was working with them when they were in college. You find ways yeah. to keep that family together. And that's what Voices of Hope did. It, it brought those of us who wanted to continue as a family into a solid foundation and then threw open our doors and invited more to come join the family. What's the mission? Voices of Hope. The mission is to raise awareness and funds for cancer research, to change the face of cancer in our lifetime. That's the frontline mission. Since we've started, we've learned that the mission is so much bigger than that. It's about giving a place for every artist's soul who wants to express their grief, their concern, their fear, and even their glory and celebration through music. And now what started out as let's raise funds for cancer research has become a let's be a cancer community. Let's be whole within ourselves and the byproduct of what I do benefits that research. Let's build a relationship with the people we benefit. We know the doctors and nurses at the Tamir Center where we support at Mass General. 
They come to our productions. They come to our rehearsal. They tell us patient stories. We have become this incredible family that just is. And each day, somebody needs that family. Somebody needs the joy, the support, the music. And through that, we've built a foundation of commitment and a relationship that is still constantly dedicated to changing the face of cancer in the future. But we're feeling the impact of our work every day. How many performances would you say you have produced? This is your 10th anniversary. It is. How many performances are we talking about? Well, we do two major performances every year. Those are large musicals. So the spring performance is always a large-scale Broadway performance. We've done close to 10 of those. And then the fall is a musical gala, which, of course, you have joined us for more than once, and we are so delighted. There's been at least nearly 20 major productions, but then we do tons of smaller productions. We have been so blessed to be invited into other people's homes. We sing for the Conquer Cancer Coalition, for their Garden of Hope fundraiser every year in Boston. We sing for the American Cancer Society, for the Breast Cancer Walk. Others have invited our voices to be part of their mission as well. We are hired to perform at events where people want to find a way to give back as well. So they bring us into their performance and make a donation for us. So I'm probably in 10 years to, I don't know, 30 or 40 within Voices of Hope. I've done hundreds across my career. Let's not forget the flash mob that we did for my daughter's wedding day on my front yard. Was that just that the was best? So oh fun. my god! The, the fake gardener and the little boy and the kid and riding the his person bike. on a bike. Oh yeah, my the god! The guy at the limo. We do have the video for that. She was so fun to to present that, and the music was so special. It really was. I am told that you are the heart of the organization, and this is where I'm going to give our listeners a quote about you. Dana makes walking into the VOH studio like walking into a family gathering. The environment that Dana fosters makes her the heart of our group, the comforting mother to our painful journeys, the shaping hands that mold us into more loving, more generous versions of ourselves, allowing us to give all we can to each other and our mission of hope in the dark world of cancer. Wow. This is part of a nomination for you for yeah. the Craft Volunteer Award in honor of Myra Craft, and you yeah. became a finalist for this. I did, and we received a generous donation from the Craft family for Voices of Hope. Those words are so important to me. It is, in fact, and I'm looking at your 16 Life Lessons by Candy O'Terry, and I'm just so blown away by how much I identify with so many of these words. But I look at number 11, lead with purpose and compassion. And that really resonates with me. I have always wanted to be a person in God's eyes that leads with his love. And for that, he gave me gifts. And some of those gifts are in science and nursing, where I bring compassion and love. But the others is the joy of the arts, where I bring compassion and love. And my role really is to be sure that the others who bring themselves and their time and their energy all donated because they have a pain they're trying to resolve or a glory that they're trying to celebrate, I feel that I've met my goal when they feel that way, when they feel welcome, when they feel home, when they feel safe, when they feel rewarded and proud, then my work is being rewarded as well. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. You rehearse at a really cool place, which is nicknamed The Nest. It is. And I've actually been there, and it is in this historic building in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Paint a picture of it for us, for our listeners. Oh my gosh, it feels like a big, scary, old, dark mill when you first encounter it. But when you begin to walk through the hallways and to reach the nest and you open the door, there is life and there is energy and there is music and there's posters all over the wall for the shows we've done. There's pictures of the people we sing for. The word hope can be found in so many forms, colored pictures by our children and professional designs by artists. Hope is our bottom line foundational emotion for everything we do. We believe there's hope in the dark days. Um, we celebrate hope in the great days. But I think the most important thing is that people do say when the doors get thrown open of the nest, they f do feel like they were home. And yes, I'm a mother hen, and I want to be sure <laughs> that my home is a welcoming home. But it's not me alone. It's every person who comes to that sure. door, walks in, and then turns around and extends their hand to pull in the next person who needs that door. I am blessed to work with an amazing cast of characters, if you will, who donate their time and their talents. And they are their artists, their musicians, their designers, their costumers, and music directors and choreographers, and people who just want to cheer us on from the stands and bake the cookies for rehearsals. The goal is to include everyone. And as the artistic director, that must be your greatest challenge. <laughs> How do you reach out to make sure that the talents that people bring to you are used? That's a great question, Candy. And thank you for recognizing that for anybody in the arts, we don't have auditions to join Voices of Hope. Voices of Hope is not a theater group. It is a philanthropic organization solely dedicated to provide a home for people who want an outlet for their needs in the cancer community, to have a connection to other people. But what that does mean, though, is we're, first of all, we're casting shows that might be written for 20 or 30 with 50 or 60 or 80 or 90. And not everybody comes from a theatrical background. Yeah. A lot of them come from um, choruses and church music, so the stage is a little different. The galas in the fall are more suited to them. But it's my role as a director to recognize everybody's yes. individual skill sets, and everybody has them. And there certainly are people that we know as the lead singers and the lead vocalists, so we craft numbers that feature them. But then we also craft fun, wonderful moments and numbers. Over the years, I've gotten to know the skills and talents that people yeah. bring. And I just want to make sure that every single person has a place and a purpose. They're giving their time and their talent. We need to be sure we reward that by making their talents be valued. So we do a lot of crafting and a lot of interviewing and a lot of surveying. And what songs do you want to see in the gala this fall? And try to craft around their interests. Even though our purpose at times feels dark, we're really committed to joy and finding joy in everything we do. With joy comes hope. And again, our, our mission is really to be the voices of hope. 
How much money have you raised over these 10 years? We've probably raised certainly over a million or more, I dare say probably several, because there are expenses to the kind of work we do. We're proud to say that we've donated just about 700,000 now, pure donations. So what's really special about Voices of Hope, all of the ticket sales that come from our friends and family plan and all of the direct donations, I'd like to make a donation on behalf of Uncle Bill, my mother, my sister. All that money is passed directly through. We support the organization on businesses who sponsor us or put ads in our program. We have some generous partners. Conquer Cancer Coalition supports our partnership in the nest so that we have a home. We have some business partners that help do the business. The pure donation that is the heart and soul of us. 700000 over 500000 of that to our partners in Tamir and others have gone to other organizations as well. Congratulations. Thank you. That is an amazing story. Define talent for me. After all, you are an artistic director. Oh. How do you know talent when you see it? Sometimes I think the first thing I notice about talent is passion. Some people aren't necessarily always on key and they don't always get the dance steps right. But if they sell it with a passion and a purpose, there's talent. Obviously, as an artistic director, I want to be respectful of the beautiful works of art we choose. Right now, we're working on Titanic which is an incredibly beautiful choral musical production, but it also has significant characters that need to be properly represented. So certainly we need to look for the people that are more skilled in those areas. Talent is also knowing how to build a set. Talent is knowing how to make us sound our best. Talent is painting the portal hole to look so real. Talent is baking cookies because <laughs> the cast needs to have goodies. Yeah. Um, talent is knowing when to walk up and hug somebody hold a hand, say their line for them because something happened in a moment. I am always mindful that whenever we're rehearsing and buried deep in our art, every single person involved has a different story. Sure. They're there for another reason. They're there because their dad is dying of cancer or their mom just got a diagnosis or their child is having a workup and they're frightened. So in addition to all the layers of art, talent is understanding what everybody needs. And I don't do that alone. Everybody in our organization brings their talent and their passion and their love. You prefer being behind the scenes to being physically in the spotlight on the stage. What do you get from this? Does it feed your soul? Oh, absolutely. The pride and joy I feel when I just sit back in the dark. Well, actually, I don't sit. Anybody who's hearing this would say, you don't sit. I pace, I walk, I pound, I clutch, I do a whole lot because they're my babies. They're my children. You know, I've been nurturing them for all this time. And the pride and joy I feel when I know they are satisfied. A lot of the people in our organization are so talented. They're but by the grace of God and the choice of other pathways like my own could be professional performers. Sure. They're fulfilling their artistic needs. Others are exploring a talent they never thought they had. And they're testing it and trying it and growing it. I think that really what I get out of it is lifting others, protecting them from the things that don't go well for them, crafting things that do go well for them, and just providing an opportunity for them to feel joy. I always say at the end, the most important thing for me is for my cast to walk away proud. And when I say cast, I mean onstage cast, backstage, my blessed musicians in the pit, the artist who built the sound people that are putting microphones on, the costumers who are standing in the back with their pins and their needles, everybody in the production to walk away 
proud that their time and their energy and effort also was valued. I'm really interested to talk a little bit about your childhood because I would very much like to know how you got to be the incredible woman that you are today. What was it like in your home? My parents were probably what we think of as the classic 60s parents. Their goals and objectives for us were to be cared for and safe. My dad was your classic go to work, work 14 hours, raise that money. I have to say there wasn't a lot of connection there, at least during the week. And my mom worked as well. In fact, we had a relative live with us, so we had limited connection in some way to our parents during the week. Bless the aunt that came to take care of all of us. She came for a few days after my baby sister was born and stayed for like 25 years. (laughs) How many brothers and sisters? I have one brother and one sister. My parents were very involved in the couples club theater at church, and that was the magic. Saturday morning would come, and my mother would turn the radio on, and she would blast the Broadway show tunes. And we'd be cleaning and doing our chores, and there were lists of chores, and you never did anything else. But there was always that music underneath. My mom had a beautiful voice. And the only time I saw her sing was on these Saturday mornings when she would turn on those tunes. And of course, Saturday afternoon after church was when they would rehearse. So like life became alive for us on the weekends. And all of it for me was connected to theater. I think that's where the theater passion came from. And then Monday would come and we would go back. All of that magic would disappear. And you went to work and you went to school. And it wasn't bad, but it was interesting that the magic had a place. I remember saying to myself as a child, why does the magic end on Sunday night? Like I dreaded Monday morning. I wanted the magic to last all week. I wanted music in my life every day. I wanted theater in my life every day. What I think I wanted was the warmth. And as you said earlier, the The connection that that created is what I was really looking for. I'm guessing then that that was the seed for you deciding, I want to be on Broadway. It was. We were very blessed. By the time I was in junior high, my parents had extended an amazing theatrical opportunity. We had a a very active town community theater for kids called Teen Theater Workshop, Tewksbury Teen Theater Workshop, TTW. I and eventually my brother and ultimately my sister all became part of TTW. And that was the outside activity that my mother was completely enamored with. We still rode our own bikes, got our own rides. We figured out how to manage it ourselves. But boy, was she there in the front row cheering you on and sewing that costume and giving her all to it. Again, we connected over theater, which is clearly why. But the other thing my mother always wanted was for me to be a nurse. So every doll she bought me was a nurse. I had a little nurse's kit. I had little Band-Aids. She was definitely (laughs) making sure she saw my passion for theater. I think she was being sure in an age in which you raised your children to be practical, that they were practical people. But I saw the magic inside and I just wanted that to live more. You know, you found a way to keep it in your life. Yeah. One way or the other. Your work ethic is tireless. Mm. I'm hearing about your dad working 14 hours a day. In the 60s, you know, my mom worked full time too. And I was one of the only kids on my street whose mother worked outside the home. That must be where your work ethic comes from, because you are a lioness when it comes to work. (laughs) 
My dad instilled it by example. My mom instilled it very directly by her words. If you started something, you finished something. If you volunteered, you committed. If you said you were going to do it, you did and you did it on time. And by the way, if it was on time, even that was probably a little too late. You should have delivered early. She was a taskmaster. I was just about she to was, This she, sounds like a taskmaster to me. She was. And she looked for excellence. And, and I realize in hindsight, of course, when you're a kid, you don't know that. But when you become a parent, you recognize it instantly. She wanted us to be well prepared. I mean, I was a student that if you got a B, it should have been an A. And if you got an A, it should have been an A+. Plus. And if you got an A+, plus, well, it was about darn time. But I've come to know they loved us fiercely. They did in the way that they knew to express love, which is very different, I think, than we as parents now think about it. When you and I first met, I had just fallen in love later in my life (laughs) and gotten married. And the same thing had happened to you. I know. We bonded over that story, too, didn't we? How lucky are we? Can you tell me a little bit about your husband, Ed? Oh, my goodness. And the change that he's created, shifted Mm -hmm. for you in your life. Oh, wow. There are so many wonderful things to say. He's certainly an example of everything you've done before, everything that's gone before has been to prepare you for what is yet to come. I have to say, with with no disrespect to my previous life, there were struggles and there were difficulties. Relationships were never quite right. My disease often got in my own way. I often felt I didn't want to burden that uncertainty on people. Other people liked me not well, and I didn't feel my best because I wasn't encouraged to be my best. Ed walked into my life at a time when I really was quite comfortable with who I was. I had a lovely relationship at the time that served all the comforts and joys of socializing and sharing a life, but not needing to be completely involved. Ed walked in and introduced a whole new concept of relationship, one in which he loved so fiercely and loved who I was. And that was a shock to me. He didn't want anything about me to be different. He didn't want my boldness, my fierceness, my hours at the theater, or even my disease to be different. He just wanted to care for me and lift me and be a partner. For the first time, I felt like this person wanted me to be my very best. And gosh, how can you not fall in love with that? I have so much admiration for him. He brings so much science and talent to our relationship as well. He's an engineer, but he's a performer too. But like you and I both know, finding the right relationship that allows you to blossom is really what life is all about. Last few questions that I have for you in this wonderful interview, and thank you so much for being so candid. These are questions we ask everyone who sits where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I need to figure out what the opportunities are. I do spend a lot of time looking at the options. I do try to understand. I'm a risk manager. I look at the root cause. How did the obstacle get here? Do I have any control over it? Ed is actually very famous for saying, if you have control over it, take control. If you don't have control over it, let go and figure out what you do have control over. So I look for what other opportunities are that I could move myself toward. And that has repeated for me over and over and over again. Look beyond the obstacle to find the opportunity. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received, and can you pass that along or share it with someone listening today? Oh, it's so simple. Be kind. Just be kind. In every interaction in your life, regardless of how sad or struggled or stressed or frustrated, whatever the conflict is that you need to talk about or address, lead with kindness. This world just needs so much more of that. 
at the end of the day then, as a woman, as a person, what matters most to you? That first, God is proud of the woman I am, that I have used the talents that he has given me to be the best beacon of light that I can be. That my family knows that they are loved and embraced, and I am a crazy busy woman with three amazing adult daughters and families and siblings and nieces and nephews. I want to be sure at the end of the day that I don't get so busy that I don't forget that all those relationships are so important. And that, Ed, my partner, that he knows how much I appreciate it. And I think lastly, right now particularly, that I just want the strength to continue. I lay my head on the end of the pillow and I just hope that the seeds that I've planted, the work that I've done, maybe I've taught one person to give their all. I think my favorite saying in the whole world is Margaret Mead, never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. Indeed, they are likely the only ones who will. I hope that my choice to be hugely dedicated to things that matter inspires other people to do the same. You know, you mentioned your three adult daughters. What is mother love? Oh, letting go while still hanging on, (laughs) giving them wings while holding on tight and not wanting them to fall. You know, you've done so much work throughout the course of your life, particularly in these last 10 years in the fight against cancer, to raise money for much-needed research. What is your message to those who are struggling with cancer and to their loved ones? We are making such progress in research. There is truly hope. Cancer is no longer a death sentence across the board. With great respect to people who still experience the darker side, we have to know we're making a difference. And we have to know that people are living with not always dying from cancer. That's the VOH message. The personal message is just find something you love and commit to it. Make a difference in something, even if it's just your own immediate family and the joy and love you bring to them. Final question. At this moment, Dana Siegel, at this time in your life, what does success mean to you? Success means to me looking out around myself and hopefully seeing the joy in others around me, the contributions I've made to lifting others. Again, my mission has always been to give and to use my tools as an instrument for others. So success for me is feeling like I've made a difference. One life only. You can't save a thousand starfishes off the beach, but the one you save and toss back in is grateful. Success for me is knowing one single soul perhaps sleeps or rests easier because I had a connection with them somehow. I want to say thank you so much for telling us your story on the story behind her success. Dana Siegel, thank you. Thank you so much, Candy. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?